You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA Draft. Thank you so much for listening, whether you are an NBA draft uh, general fan, college basketball fan, NBA fan, whatever it is that brings you to listening to Locked On NBA Draft. Thank you so much for making Locked On NBA Draft your first listen of the day. Really means a lot. My name is Richard Stamen. You might know me better as at Mavs Draft on Twitter. Uh, a little bit about me if you don't know. I am a credentialed NBA draft analyst. Obviously, I host this show. Uh, I'm pretty big with the Mavs and Magic. Those are two the two teams I primarily cover for the NBA, but also just watching a lot of college basketball and international basketball. Huge NBA draft fan ever since 2004. Uh, as I said, I was a Magic fan. That was the year Dwight Howard was the first pick. Really got me into it. Um, so for this episode, I'm going to kind of follow up from what I did last week, which was preview the midseason tournaments that were happening over Thanksgiving week. And uh, I'd say the results were pretty positive. We learned a lot about a lot of players. We're now about five to seven games in for most teams. So we're starting to get some sample size. My biggest first takeaway is really that, I mean, not to dive completely into it, but this is, I guess, actually kind of a little tease. Um, The number one pick may be a lot more wide open than we thought. It's similar to 2020 with a little bit more variance. You know, there's going to be several guys. Uh, we'll talk about that in the next segments, but you know, I, I really do think that this draft has taken an interesting turn from where I thought it would be just even one month ago, two months ago. It's really different. But the first thing I want to start with, this is uh, the title obviously suggests this. This is going to be about Jacob Gilliard, who it ties into the midseason tournaments that we saw. He was in the Baja Mars. Bahamas championship not to be confused with the battle for Atlantis in Bahamas this had a really interesting field and it previewed and it, there was it highlighted one game that I'm really looking forward to and that was against Mississippi State against another draftable guard in Iverson Molinar he really didn't stand out against Molinar but Jacob Gilliard did stand out himself and, and I'll get to Molinar in just a second but if you don't know about Jacob Gilliard, um, I, I tweeted this over the weekend. He's probably the only under six foot guard I will consider a prospect in this draft class, unless you count Kendrick Davis as five eleven, then I will count him too. But Ken, uh, excuse me, Jacob Gilliard is about to be the all time steals leader come tomorrow Wednesday when he plays his next game. He's one steal shy of tying it. He has averaged three to four steals per game his entire career. He's going to be the NCAA's all time steal leader. So it got me to thinking pretty much preseason, I did some research and I was like, okay, there's some game here beyond just like, you know, being a menace on defense. And and I don't think he's like an on-ball stopper because he's 5'9". Like you can only be so good on ball, like unless you're maybe TJ McConnell or something. But he's not TJ McConnell. However, TJ McConnell did have like a 8, 9, 10 steal game last year. And all I'm saying is uh, Rick Carlisle has done some magic with some undersized guards. Jacob Gilliard could very well be the next underside guard to work for Rick Carlisle. So pretty much though, I looked into it, 
point of this was I wanted to see what his entire game was. We don't really hear a lot about him on the NBA draft community. And if you ever hear about him in college basketball, it's about his steals. I mean, in this year, I'll, I'll count the game logs in order. He's had one game with zero, and that was against Hofstra steals. Um, so in order, North Carolina Central, he had seven steals to open the year. Utah State, he had four steals. Georgia State, he had three steals. Drake, he had four. Hofstra, zero. Three against Maryland in the Bahamas Championship. And then against Mississippi State, he had another six-game, six-steal game. So he's already at 27 through seven games. For those of you who don't know the math on that, that's four steals a game. That is absolutely ridiculous. He will get it tomorrow. He will break the all-time steals record, which for a long time in the era of one and done felt pretty unbreakable. He's going to do it. And I think something like that automatically gets you on the NBA radars. A lot of teams will say, like, you know, it doesn't even matter. You have an elite skill. And he has an elite skill of forcing turnovers. How he does it is a little bit different. He intercepts passing lanes for sure. He uses his size to his advantage and is incredibly high IQ on that end. There, I clipped a tweet, uh, or I clipped a video, excuse me, and posted it on Twitter uh, the other day. If you go through either my media section or just search Gilliard Maps Draft, you'll find it where he gets beat through the screen in the pick and roll. The ball handler just kind of takes his time making a decision. He comes up and blindsides the ball handler takes it from him mid-dribble, and turns it to the other way to go transition offense. Like, that's kind of stuff you just don't see. And the only prospect who it feels like I can say I saw that from recently is maybe Tremont Waters from the 2020 NBA draft, undersized guard as well. And to all of this to say, on the defensive end, like, those steals are legit, and he could do this in the NBA. On the offensive end, he's actually got a really good assist-to-turnover ratio. He doesn't really turn the ball over a whole lot. Like, for his career, he's never averaged more than two and a half turnovers per game. And every single year, he's had four assists or more per game. That's the only one of his four was freshman year. After that, it was five assists, or give or take, in the decimal range. Uh, Or not give or take, just five plus in the decimal range. So that's always been a two- two to one or better. I mean, most of the years it's been three to one, which is pretty dang good. So the guy can pass. He's got really good vision. He finds cutters. And then also he has good shooting form. So all this to say, like, I I really do think there's a spot for Jacob Gilliard in the league. I think he needs more eyes on his offensive game because we just kind of look at the steals and go, oh yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And like, he's five nine. So you don't really, um, you don't really give him the credit. I guess he's due. Every so often we see a shorter player who breaks that um, barrier is a very strong word, but just that like that I don't even know what the right word is. The stereotype, I guess, that you can't be under six feet and play in the NBA. There's just so few players in the NBA that are that short. And I don't know, in due time, that kind of stuff happens. And I think Jacob Gilliard is the next under six foot NBA player in the league. And he's actually got a chance if he ends up with the right spot or with a coach or a team that really wants to utilize him as a First of all, probably starts in the G League early on, but later, you know, once he gets in the uh, kind of figures out offense more smoothly to adapt to the NBA level, maybe he could be that third point guard who, at the worst, you know, you got a turnover force or maybe against a team that, I guess, doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot. That would be a big benefit for a lot of teams. So all that to say, Jacob Gilliard, put him on your NBA radar. I really do think he is worth investing in. I don't know if I'd draft him. Um, maybe before 50, probably in that 51, 60 has always been a gamble range. Anything goes hundred percent consider him there, but not put, take him earlier, but he at the least is an NBA summer league player. Start thinking of him, watch that game tomorrow. Uh, they, let me check it who they play. You know, I should have looked this up before starting this. They played Maryland Eastern, which is a really weak competition game. 
and he will 100% break the, the record that game. So when I come back, I'm going to talk about the midseason tournaments, some growth uh, and just kind of shocks we saw. These tournaments really do tell a lot about who these players are and what the prospect status is in the draft. We learn a lot about the caliber of these players. So I'm really excited to talk about that. But first, let me tell you about Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam to get out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions instead. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply have forgotten about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple for you. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now, Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands a year. And because I botched it earlier, Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. So welcome back to Locked On NBA Draft. Like I was saying before the break, the midseason tournaments tell a lot about these prospects. This is something that we can learn uh, a lot of valuable information really from just because this is where tougher competition, this is probably the toughest out-of-conference competition. Most of these teams have left. That's not to say that, you know, some teams will top it. But, I mean, like, Gonzaga's not playing anybody better than Duke and UCLA again. Um, that's absolutely for sure. So my takeaways with this, I'm just going to be honest. Rafael on yesterday's show did a great job covering Palo versus Chet. I'm not going to dive into that and act like I have something way more insightful. You've probably seen that. In it. That is the number one draft thing for this last week. The The number two thing that happened was in the battle for Atlantis, and you probably heard about this, so I'm not going to shove it down your throat acting like I have some super original idea. But the other thing is Jabari Smith really emerged as a number one pick uh, possibility. Uh, this is what I was hinting at to title the open the show and I really do think that Jabari Smith really made a name for himself. In the four, three games, excuse me, in the battle for Atlantis, he shot 49%, 19 points per game, five rebounds a game, two assists, just under a block and a steal per game. Like I said, 49%, 40% from three on five attempts per game, 93% from the line. That's uh, almost 50, 40, 90. So obviously only three game sample size, of course, but that was against UConn, Loyola, Illinois, um, and Syracuse. So those are three pretty good teams. Loyola, uh, and that's actually Loyola, Chicago. They they are um, the team, if you remember them in the NCAA tournament, I mean, year after year, they have made a name for themselves. I don't think I need to remind you who they are making those, uh, those deep NCAA tournament runs. But Jabari Smith looked every bit of the part of a number one pick. The only criticism I even could come up with was his step-back jump shot wasn't that lethal, which is like an incredibly nitpicky thing to say like for a number one pick, Which and also it's super improvable because he could get to the rim. He's long. He's got good size. He can shoot. The jump shot touch is really clean. Obviously, five attempts a game, that's 15 free throws he shot the whole time and only missed like one one or two and uh i don't want to say it was one actually but he really just did a great job offensively and man he also had some good flashes defensively um you could see on twitter i, I want to say it was draft dummies posted 
the video of of uh, excuse me Sam of Draft Dummies posted the video of Jabari Smith sliding his feet perfectly, shutting down a drive. Like all the tools are there to be a, a borderline superstar in the league. Like he is probably the highest ceiling that of players that's not named Paolo of in terms of like realisticness and and really just able to hit that ceiling. Because I'm if you're unfamiliar, I'm not huge on Chet. I'm not gonna say I'm out on him, but I'm just not as big on him. I don't think that the unicorn ceiling we've labeled him to be is it. I think he's kind of got the really elite shot blocking tools, but just not not the superstar that Jabari Smith could be like where he's high volume scorer, good defender, just two way player who does everything on the court. And that's kind of a superstar. Uh, so Jabari Smith really stood out. You probably heard a lot about his game, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on him. One player who stood out that was a little bit under the radar to me was Nate Johnson of Xavier, who is a uh, actually sixth-year player. He was a fifth-year last year at Xavier, and then they granted another year of eligibility, and he had missed some time with injury. One of the best shooters in the class. Against Virginia Tech, He had uh, so he had two games. He did pretty well overall. I'll just kind of read the... Uh, the two-game stat line, he shot 65% on 10 shots a game, 7.5 per game from three, and shot 53%, which is just stupid good. Had 19 points per game. Pretty much all he is is a shooter. The only downside of what I'm about to say is he's 6'4". Having a pure shooter at 6'4 isn't the sexiest thing, but the Virginia Tech game, oh my God, if you have a chance to watch this, go back and rewatch this. It is a beautiful display of shooting the basketball. He went... 10 of 14, 7 of 4, or excuse me, 7 of 11 from 3 with 30 points, 2 steals, 3 rebounds. The man could shoot at any angle. He can shoot. He's a great off-ball player. The only concern I have for him in the NBA is can he overcome the size because he'll be hunted. He really doesn't do much other than shoot. And he's a 6-year player. But man, 30 points on almost all 3-point shooting and just being just this lights-out shooter who can get to anywhere and do anything he wants really stood out to me. Um, Kendall Brown at Baylor, also in the battle for Atlantis, highlighting that really strong field. Even when it didn't even seem like a great field, it was still pretty impressive. Kendall Brown still in three games. This is just stupid. He's hyper-efficient. He's going to be a lottery pick, uh, which makes me sad as a Mavs fan. I really liked him preseason. He averaged over three games, 12 points a game, three rebounds a game, one steal. No, it doesn't sound like a lot, but on seven attempts a game, he shot 76%. Um, just stupid efficient, perfect cutter, high IQ, good defender. The man is the ultimate glue guy. Like, he is what every winning team needs. If he, you know, there's a lot of teams that are kind of in that range of crap. We might not be good. Looking at Denver, especially after the Michael Porter Jr. news yesterday, if they happen to luck into Kendall Brown, that. The Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray injury could be one of the greatest things to happen to them. I mean, he is an ultimate glue guy on a team that would need a lot of forward depth. Um, I don't know how much. Um, I don't know how much you know. Jamichael Green and Jeff Green add a lot to them. Portland, if they want to try, if Dame gives it one more try. Um, Toronto's a little bit redundant, obviously, with OG Anunoby, and then one other team is Indiana. Sabonis Turner. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, like Kendall Brown fits beautifully in there. And then one other player who really stood out. This is probably my last takeaway, uh, not including Jacob Gilliard because I already talked about him, but Oche Baji, a fourth-year player who I thought he made the wrong decision returning to school. 
to go back for a senior year. I, I was hesitant to say he could get drafted because I thought he did so well last year as a junior. And seniors just don't really get drafted. I was probably wrong. In the ESPN tip-off tournament, they played North Texas, Dayton, and Iona. Uh, went a little bit astray. People thought, you know, maybe we'd see Alabama, but uh, we did not. In three games, he shot 19, uh, or excuse me, he had 19 points per game, three rebounds a game, two assists on 52% shooting. And then on four threes per game, he shot 42%. Really stood out. The three-point shot has always been smooth. But overall this year, I mean, his worst scoring output, and this is through six games, his worst scoring output was in the tournament. His two worst at 17 and 18. Those are the only two games all year he scored under 20. Granted, the competition was stronger than anything else he faced it for the most part outside of Michigan State in the opener. That was his season high at 29 against Michigan State. So, like, sure, he played Tarleton State and Stony Brook, got 25 against each. And then North Texas, uh, who made the tournament last year, obviously a little bit different team. But Dayton is a really good team. Dayton beat them. Iona, uh, Iona is a team that will make the tournament. Like, it's good competition compared to what he faced before, but, man, that guy is still going to get drafted. I think if you made him – if you look at the context, I'm not even going to talk about his age because his age will hold him back. But if you just look at the fact that he's a raw player who really his first year and a half was just an athlete playing basketball, I would judge him like if he was a junior. That's the way I would look at him as a draft prospect. Don't look at him as a Desmond Bain who's going to come in and be all rookie, be the super efficient player. Igbaji still has a little bit of room to grow at 22 years old. Like, keep keep a, a long leash with him. He's a guy who I think starts to kind of peak around 24. He needs a couple years before really showing, or not peak, but really come around. He needs a couple years to show what he's capable of because he's really skilled and I do think that the jump shot will help a lot he just needs to put it all together on a consistent level obviously being a senior it's a lot easier to dominate than being a sophomore junior freshman but these are legitimate flashes and he's showing an elite tool so um, when I come back though I'm going to talk about one other player who stood out that might be a nice under the radar prospect and then also talk to you about uh, the game I went to actually It'll be last night when you're listening to this, but I just got back from it. Uh, TCU versus Austin P, and just kind of an early takeaway on some returners that I'm growing a little bit impatient of. But first, let's talk about Bet Online. Thanksgiving is over. However, betting season is still in full swing. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all sports actions this season. Baseball, uh, or excuse me, baseball free agency is uh, swinging on my mind. Basketball is heading in full swing. Christmas games are only a few weeks away. NFL is really gearing up towards that final run of the season. Plus, they have that extra week of football this year. UFC, MMA, always in action. NHL is going on. Go to Bet Online. It is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. So, like I was kind of leaning into uh, to close the last segment. So, I'll start kind of where I left off with the one other player who made an impression on me. And this is someone who I feel like we really do need to be talking more. And honestly, this whole team, I haven't heard anything on draft Twitter, really. Uh, maybe that's just my my eyes and ears being closed, but Alex Fudge on LSU is not only does that name rock the last name Fudge, but also LSU is really good. So they played in the Emerald Coast Classic this weekend. They played against Penn State and Wake Forest. Uh, Alex Fudge only shot five attempts per game, shot 60%, six points a game, eight rebounds, one, one assist, half a steal. 
per game. Uh, had seven and nine rebounds in the two games. Really stood out, especially in that Wake Forest game. Such a good athlete, such a good rebounder at 6'8". Really raw, but you can see the jump shooting potential. Only two of seven from three on the year so far. But that team has a lot of potential. Uh, you look at Darius Days, someone who I've been hyping up now for a year and a half, it feels like. Uh, I guess two drafts, only a year. But he's the ultimate glue guy. Darius Days is 6'7", can play three through five, can shoot, defend. Really, I think he's a good athlete, pretty strong, so he can handle a lot. I don't know if he can play like against a traditional five, but he can play in the small ball fives. You can, like P.J. Washington, you know, the Hornets run the small ball five lineups a lot. With P.J. Washington, you can run Darius Days out there and be pretty happy. Um, Darius Days is a guy who is absolutely worth investing in. And if you listen to Locked On Pacers, my guy Tony East loves him. He was the one who, who was kind of swayed me on him. I was like, I don't know. I don't see much. And he's like, this guy is a glue guy, uh, does everything, valuable winning player. And you can just see it with the averages almost. Like he averages a steal a game. He averages an assist a game, seven rebounds, 16 points per game. And he's shooting the ball really well at six attempts per game so far, shooting 44% and shooting 83% from the line. So he's someone to get invested in. Uh, there's also... Eric Gaines is a, a young guard, kind of still raw, that's worth looking into. Sure, he's only 6'2", 6'3", but really shooting, um, really needs to shoot the ball better. However, the free throw percentage is a little bit more indicative, 89% compared to 23% from three, nine points a game. He's a guy, I think, if he's going to have some big flashes in, turn, in conference play for LSU come January, February, and you know early March. He's a guy who can make a name for himself as a good second-round gamble. Uh, I really like him, but Alex Fudge, man, that guy at 6'8", being a, a pretty good forward, is really raw. I, I do like what he brings, and I think he's got a very realistic chance for upside. Now, leaning on to the next portion, just to close this out, there's been a couple guys who I hyped up a lot, if you listen to this show, for having really good years this year. I thought they would all make their all-conference team. I, I'll, I'll start with Paul Scruggs. Paul Scruggs has been a huge... And, and this is way too premature. But he has been a letdown, I think. It, I think it's almost a very fair criticism to say. he's at, His points per game is the lowest it's been since his freshman year. He's a fifth-year player. His field goal percentage is 36%. It's only six games, which is giving me hope. His defense is still good. His playmaking is down. His numbers are down across the board. And it's been really, really disappointing because for someone who I've pegged as NBA-ready, all this stuff, they should not be having a six-game slump like this in the in NCAA, especially given their competition. When, sure, they played Virginia Tech and Iowa State, teammate of Nate Johnson, uh, aforementioned team, uh, Nate Johnson. But then their other games are Norfolk State, Ohio State, which actually might have been his best game, Niagara and Kent State. Like, he should be doing a lot better. He's scored single digits the last three games, Norfolk State, Iowa State, and Virginia Tech. I haven't been a huge fan. It's still very early, but it's really making not only me look bad, but it's also making me a bit sour on him. And and for a fifth-year guy, it's going to be hard to really sell that. And he's going to be 24. Like, he's not going to be 23, 22. Like, he's going to be 24 years old like Chris Duarte. The next one, uh, the stats really don't say it. However, you can tell that this player is kind of leaning into the NBA feedback he heard, which was fix your jump shot. And he's taking less jump shots. This is Isaiah Wong out of Miami. He's taking less threes than he did last year. He's taking some more long twos, it feels. But his three-point percentage is down. Really would have liked to see that go up. Um, he's His scoring is down one and a half points per game. There's probably a really good chance for him to turn it around. But 
I expected a stronger performance out of the gate from him. He played against Canisius, UCF, Florida Atlantic, Florida A&M, and then in the ESPN tip-off against Dayton, North Texas, and Alabama. He actually played pretty well in the tournament, though. Uh, against Alabama, he was crossing up Keon Ellis. Like Again, just kind of wish I could see more from him, but it may also be a system and talent around him thing. He's got some ball-dominant players, guys who love seeing their own shots go up. But it's been a little bit uh, disappointing. I don't think I'm as high on him as I once was. And then the last one. So I went to TCU tonight to see Austin P. Uh, Austin P. The P. announcer was saying P. I, I don't know how it actually is, but they played TCU and TCU handled them pretty easily. Uh, my one concern was just I haven't seen a lot from Mike Miles. He had some nice jump shots, which were promising, but he went five of fifteen. Really didn't stand out again. Like his playmaking feels like it's uh it, it wasn't very strong tonight. I don't know if it's rust from playing in the U19s over the summer with Chet Holmgren, Patrick Baldwin, all these all these other stars. I don't know if he just needs to get his footing going, whatever it is. Or my fear is, is that last year to close the year, he had a really, like the first two and a half months were pretty strong. He played until, I would say from late November when the season started to end of January, early February, he had outstanding NBA draft prospects safely status. And then after that to close the final month, he just kind of struggled and it might've just been burnout. But he's starting to play like that, too. His points are up. He Entering tonight, he was at 17 points per game compared to 13.6, but the field goal percentage is now dipping below 39%. Three-point percentage is near 25%. The free throws are there, uh, but the turnovers are up a lot, too. I mean, entering tonight, four, four turnovers per game. Really would like to see a lot more from him. However, the thing with Mike Miles, though, that I will say is I think he's a guy who, once he gets one game, he's going to be fine. It's been a, a concerning start. I don't think I'm making any drastic judgments. I still feel confident he'll live up to my hype as a top 20 prospect. And all I'm going to say is, you know, six games versus Pepperdine, Austin P, um, Pep, uh, excuse me, Santa Clara, Nichols, Southern Miss, McNeese State, who McNeese is actually pretty good. Um, None of that adds up to if he has like a 30-point game versus Kansas, which I think is completely realistic. Or if he has a good game versus Bay, where we've seen this from prospects at TCU uh, that may or may not have been drafted in the 2020 draft that have these massive games. Those matter a lot more. And just to kind of put this in reference, Desmond Bain did the same thing in his senior year. I was a little bit concerned for him because he just started out so slow. There were games where he was dropping 2 of 11. He was going um, 3 of 11. This is a lot during non-conference. 5 of 16. He really didn't do too high. Like this was his stats. Uh, it actually isn't too far off. Just the field goal percentage is up. That's really it. Um, and suddenly conference play came. Everything clicked. And for all we know, that's probably what will do for Mike Miles. Just a little bit early. Some overreactions right now. I know this isn't fully rational, but I do think Mike Miles is still going to be a good prospect. Just kind of worried because I know I hyped him up a lot, especially on here. Um, just kind of holding myself accountable. But... Don't sell your stock is the message of this entire rant. Don't sell your stock on Mike Miles. Just cautiously proceed. Uh, but that is today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, I will be joined by Leaf Tulane. We are doing a monthly tradition of pretty much what happened in college basketball this month and what are we looking forward to this month. He is one of the best draft people on here. He predicted Trey Murphy well before Trey Murphy was a thing. Um, he, we did a show last month. If you want to listen to him has absolutely called Keegan Murray far and away the most accurate one on him. It's great. We're going to be back on next week. So don't forget to listen. 
Uh, in the meantime, if you want some more predictions and to sound right, go to Locked On Bets. They have you covered. They're great. I listen to them a lot, especially when I'm in that gambling mood. But go ahead and check them out. Thank you so much for listening again. My name is Richard Stamen at Draft on Twitter. Looking forward to seeing you guys, uh, or I guess talking to you all metaphorically next week. Thank you and have a good rest of your day.